Welcome to the fourth Amazing Race Canada recap episode of the Your Team Number podcast. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me, as always, is the Canadian who's essentially far more hardcore than all his podcasting relatives, Logan Saunders. Evening. You can tweet us using the hashtag Yattencast, or you can email us at yattencast at gmail.com. So, previously, ten teams raced to Buenos Aires. At the roadblock, some teams paired up, which left Hamilton to beg and Cynthia to shoot him down. At the detour, Neil and Christian tangled their way out of there quickly and won the leg, whilst Nick and Sabrina's quit at a football-themed active route info saw them drop to the back of the pack and narrowly avoid elimination. Brian and Cynthia beat Dana and Amanda in a foot race, leaving him to eulogise them as they were eliminated from the race. You know what was the greatest thing about the previously on segment? No Nelly Furtado references? So no, no, well, number one, no Nelly Furtado references. That's in my notes, too. But uh, John Montgomery... I don't think he actually said Dana and Amanda's names in the whole previously on segment. No, he called. He said there was two pairs of police officers. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know their names either. Like all the fans online said, I feel bad about the cops that are going, and nobody online said, "Hey, Dana." Said Dana and Amanda are going. Nobody could remember their names, so he said, "Oh yeah, the the two women, the two cops, the two people from Newfoundland." But nobody online, out of any of the fans, ever said their names specifically. And then we have John Montgomery in the previously on segment that doesn't know their names either. Yeah, I watched that segment twice, and I didn't even know notice that. <laughs> that was the main thing I was keeping a, an ear out for. Was if John. Just said, oh yeah, and Brian and Cynthia talked about the eliminated team, and the eliminated team whose names I can't recall were eliminated. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even notice that. I was too busy thinking, hmm, what banners can we have this week? So, I would say that even with the lack of airtime Simi and Opie have had over the past few weeks, I think Dane and Amanda have to be ranked number one for the least acknowledged team to compete in the Amazing Race Canada this far. I don't think we've had a team like Simi and Opie in terms of edit last this long in ages. Yeah. I mean, they had a big edit in the premiere, and then even though like it, it's been crazy because they're always in last place by the time you get to the halfway point of the episode, and then after that they find a way to recover and get to the middle of the pack. But they've been on the verge of being eliminated at, ha- at the halfway point so many times that I thought that alone would give them attention, but it hasn't. They've just been just swept under the rug. Have they even had a confessional since week one? They definitely, they definitely didn't have one this week. They may have had a quick one last week, I think, though. I don't think we've se- actually seen them talk to the camera since Toronto. The first time they went to Toronto, or the second time they went to Toronto this leg... <laughs> Is Toronto just one big uh, hub for the amazing... I don't think a city has ever been used that much for flights and stuff in a single season of the race. Yeah, I mean, you know as well as I do that Toronto is a bleeding massive airport. Oh, it's ridiculously big compared to uh, a couple of the other... Well, I've been to Kelowna Airport and Vancouver Airport. It's it's definitely in three different uh, groupings, that's for sure. I mean, Vancouver's pretty big, but... Toronto is mm-hmm. absolutely huge from my experience. I mean, any airport that's yep. got about five or six different Tim Hortons is a big airport. You just estimated by the size of the Tim Hortons. I can tell you that the airport here in Kelowna, uh, it only has one, it's a, and it's one that they will close the shop early at the airport. 
they will close it early compared to the listed time, which is just devastating. And they'll just run out of everything even before that. They're the worst. Yeah, they are basically the, G- the Gino and Jesse of Tim Hortons. The Gino and Jesse of Tim Hortons and airports, yes. And teams were transported back to El Obelisco for the pit start. And they must now fly to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and avoid being tempted at the airport by Tim Hortons to find the BMO kiosk, where they will be handed their next clue. They have 350 Canadian dollars this time for this leg of the race. They've been given a lot of money each leg. Is this this is for, this is a lot of money compared for the cities that they're traveling to. It's not like they're going to London or Moscow frequently. These are this isn't exactly the most expensive cities possible. No, but I think Buenos Aires taxis probably cost quite a bit of money. Especially if you go to the embassy first before the actual route marker. Yeah, that was my understanding of why they got a lot of American dollars last week as well. But then again, Gino and Jesse and those two cops from Newfoundland and Chile saved money by running halfway across uh, Santiago. So they, they saved a lot of money that way. And also Halifax's airport is like an hour out of the city. Yeah, I, I mean... That's the fun thing with, like, casual fans, or maybe just people who don't travel through airports in general, that if you look at most city schematics, um, a lot of them don't have the airport located anywhere near the downtown of the city. It's pretty far out. Manchester's about 45 minutes, I'd say, out of the city centre. And we get Neil and Kristen mentioning the Express Pass, because it's the last week that it has to be handed out. And you know, appropriately, it is the last week that it could have been handed out. Imagine if the rule, because for Mason Race Canada, has the rule been leg five in the past? Yeah, it's normally leg five. But as I pointed out on Facebook yesterday, the earliest we've seen is leg three because of Mason Race Australia versus New Zealand's shortened season. But it's usually leg five. It's usually leg five and leg eight, respectively. That's... Pretty annoying for the hardcore fans because the one thing, uh, the only unique thing that has yet to happen with the double express pass is what happens if a team gets eliminated before they hand out the second express pass, which I believe we already know is, what is it, that it's essentially up for grabs for the team that finishes first on the next leg? Yeah, it's confusing because it's never actually properly happened, but as I understand it, the rule is if... A team gets eliminated with the double express pass not handed out. The team that comes in first on the leg they get eliminated, I think, gets it. It's either the leg they get eliminated or the next leg. But it's it's a confusing rule because, like the express pass usage on a fast forward, it's never actually happened. So it's a little bit hypo- hypothetical. It's sort of like that little known rule with like in Survivor, where every season there's always dozens of people who ask, "Oh, what happens if?" Two people get five votes each, and they both use a hidden immunity idol. And the answer's already out there. Jeff Probst has already said it. Said, well, it's pretty obvious what would happen. Both would be immune, and then there's just a the tribal council is just done all over again. But and but with with and it's similar to the situation with like the express pass and the other crap that goes on with the Mason race with the little known twist that if you don't see it play out on TV, then you're going to see. Dozens of people asking the same question and probably interpret the rules differently as well or just not get the details right. 
the thing I was referring to with the fast forward express pass is the rumour of you getting a two hour penalty if you use a express pass on a fast forward. It's never happened, so we don't officially know, but as the rules can be interpreted, that is what happened. And Leilani is also from Halifax. The last time she was there, she was burying her dad, and the race day is also her mum's anniversary. So they're either going to win or get eliminated. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, we probably not, because the nature of what we discuss on this podcast, we're probably not going to discuss this at length, but probably one of the more emotional moments, I guess, on the race. Which, it's it's weird because uh, just with how the episode ends uh, for Hamilton Michaela, that even though Leilani's backstory is emphasized, it definitely gets overshadowed by Hamilton Michaela's elimination. Like, because uh, I always check what the casual fans say after the end of each episode to find the ridiculous complaints, and pretty much nobody was referring to Leilani's emotional backstory. It was just about Hamilton's journey on the race as uh, the first transgender uh, contestant on the Amazing Race in the North American version of this of the franchise. And yeah, Leilani's was pretty much ignored, which, you know, I kind of feel bad for her about that. And also bitching about Nick and Sabrina, because that's all they seem to do on the Facebook page. Yes. It wouldn't be an episode of the Amazing Canada 3 without thousands of complaints about how Nick and Sabrina keep getting saved, which is probably one of the funnier subplots of this season. I just want to see what crazy flukes happen for them to keep staying alive each round. Because I did wake up yesterday morning to the last message of Ben's conversation saying, uh, you better not scroll up unless you want to be spoiled. So I knew I had to look at the Facebook page as soon as I finished. And I did, because it was hilarious. Yeah. Just because your series of uh, ridiculous complaints from casual fans always makes me laugh. I'm amazed how many people have been reading that. Like, I'm getting hundreds of views on that within hours of posting it. Like, it's definitely spreading. Like, with well, Mike Bickerton, who is the head honcho for The Amazing Race Canada, has been reading it and, reading it and other people. So it's been it's been pretty awesome to know that there's fans like us out there who are on the same page when it comes to the over-the-top nature of casual fans and sort of understanding where they're coming from. You know what's another case, too, for international travel on The Amazing Race as opposed to going to Halifax is that with John Montgomery... He didn't get to experience the best barbecue he's ever had, if not for the race going oh, uh, going out of the country and heading to Argentina. He would have missed out on the best BBQ. Imagine if, like, Phil Kogan said, like, oh, you know, well, this is Cancun. This is the, you know, this is the place where I had a threesome four years ago or something like that. Just some really <laughs> extremely personal detail <laughs> that gets aired on TV. <laughs> Hashtag Kiwi threesome. Kiwi threesome, yeah. And it trends. It starts trending. Phil can have his own set of hashtags every week. <laughs> it's pretty surprising that, like, because I watch a lot of foreign language films, and then with John Montgomery at the Argentina pit stop last week, that, you know, with the pit stop reader, that it wasn't the start of some sort of uh, passionate love affair. It just feels like the start of every Argentine-based movie I've ever seen. Yeah, with the amount of foreign films that you watch, why have you not watched Dutch Mole yet? I'm, uh, it's, I'm, I'm working on the French version of the mole, Key... Key Elisope. Yeah. I'm a little bit behind on uh, Key Elisope. It's an hour and a half long. I know. Each episode. I've just, because it airs on a Wednesday as well, I've just got to sit down and be in the right frame of mind to watch it. I haven't watched this week's, and I've, I've watched about a third of last week's. I can assure you, though, that Dutch Mole is going to be the next reality show that I try to watch. I've spent, like, the past three days trying to get my next... 
Amazing Race 17 Tarstorian log up. Good, because Dutch Mole is amazing. It's like the best version of any franchise ever. The gold stamp. Yeah, pretty much. Did you notice uh, Cynthia's reaction to finding out it was Halifax as well? Um, let's see. No, I did not. It was Lobsters, Here We Come. Oh. Oh, Cynthia, foreshadowing for you there, love. Yes. It's funny about Halifax that they... All they talk about, pretty much most of the episode, in terms of the route markers they choose... Like, they say, oh, Halifax is 260 years old. And then they go to the pit stop and say, oh, this is the oldest market. So, apparently Halifax is like Canada's, you know, forehead wrinkles or, or, you know, just making it out to be the oldest place possible. And Nick and Matt get the privilege of taking over from uh, the female cops as our terrible product placement people. Yeah, taking over Susan and Sharon Jeet's role. I wrote that down, too, that they... It was like twice and within about two minutes that they're they're getting help from BMO. BMO has their back. It's now a triple tag team, I guess. And then using the BMO, let me see if I can do this from memory. The BMO World Class World Elite World Elite Mastercard. Yeah. As opposed to the 1985 NES Nintendo game, the BMO World Class Meet Mastercard. Yeah where you get to do the 100-meter BMO dash and the 110 BMO hurdles where you have to keep flicking the card up in the air each time you jump over a hurdle. And if you ever wanted proof of why Gina and Jesse are the worst, they genuinely tried to offer Hamilton and Michaela $50 and help at any task in exchange for the Express Pass. <laughs> it was Could so... have helped them out with the lobsters. It was so half-arsed. She's like, yeah, yeah, we'll, offer, we'll give you $50. Give you $50 off our MasterCard that we won't be able to get money off anyway. Gino and Jesse also have your back. The Volta Mussolini guarantee. But the team that, of course, had Hamilton and Michaela's back more than anyone else is Brent and Sean, who are the only team to find out that Hamilton is transgender. And this is the first mention of our correct assumption that Brent and Sean are gay, and they get the double express pass. I predicted this. Yep, you did. Ticking your column. And teams must now make their way to Halifax's new central library and count how many of the 5,000 cards on the wall are smartphone screens with images of the old Halifax library on them. Once they hand the librarian the correct guess of 134, they receive their next clue. Is this the second library to be featured in the Amazing Race Canada? Since the finale of Season 2 where they're in the, the library of whatever the crap it was called in Ottawa? It was in the Speaker's office. Yes. Yeah, you mean it's not called the library of whatever the crap it is? That's not going to be the little, <laughs> the, the title or the, the frame title uh, on the entrance to the library? Whilst it does have a plaque above the door saying the library of whatever the crap it is, that's not its official name. So more of a, it's a, something that just the locals nickname it. Right behind the, you know, the the hall of Ashley Madison users. Because apparently one in five people from Ottawa use the Ashley Madison website. Seriously? Yeah, that's the thing that came out with the Ashley Madison hacking scandal from a couple weeks ago there. 190,000 people from Ottawa use that website, which would be equivalent to one in five adults. That is ridiculous. And then I guess it's like it's it would be like close to half their marriage population. Like it was a huge deal on CNN. They like the American News was talking about it. American News rarely talks about Ottawa. And then uh, John Oliver had a clip about it and had a couple of amusing commercials poking fun at it. And this task really isn't that interesting to talk about. Um, I would disagree. 
because I think it, this is the second week in a row where Nick and Matt take a leadership role because last week they came up with the hawk and all of the teams that were trailing were able to, you know, pass through the soccer task and nearly all of them were able to beat Nick and Sabrina and ultimately knock them out. Yeah. And Nick and Sabrina only survived by two minutes. Not sure if you caught that, Michael, but yes. Yes, the departure was... times indicated it was just two minutes that Nick and Sabrina survived by last week. I was deliberately skipping over that because, yes, it proved my theory of them being about half an hour ahead was wrong. Yes, I was yes, wrong. Yes, and I again. was right. Another point for me. But, uh, but with this week, we have, this week we have Nick and Matt, you know, you know, rounding up the troops that are trailing behind once again and coming up with another method for all of them to stay alive and get out of the back of the pack. Like, if Nick and Matt didn't come up with the method for everybody to do, you know, what was it, five or six numbers each until somebody got it right, then Hamilton Michaela may have had enough time to get to the airport and back and still check into the pit stop because there there had to be at least one team that wasn't going to be able to complete the library task, because that was a pretty difficult task. Oh yeah, it was still a Canadian active route info, that is to say, ridiculously hard. But there wasn't a lot of notes to make. I wrote that the librarian was wearing a scarf. Well, thank you for your insight there, Logan. (laughs) End of the podcast. The librarian has a scarf. Seacrest out. This truly is what we keep you on the podcast for. No sweet people's fashion choices. This has really been an ongoing thing for the past two years. I, I, I don't know why, but I always pick it out. Having said that, if we do get a chance to talk to Nick and Sabrina, I will be asking Nick whether he actually does own any long trousers. See, now you're getting in on the fashion choices. It's contagious, Michael. It's from being around you last September. So Hamilton and Michaela are the first to leave, with Nick and Sabrina in second, Brian and Cynthia in third, and Dijon and Leilani in fourth. And then the bottom five decide to work together, as Logan said. And then we have a roadblock. You know what was the best part leading up to the roadblock? Is Brian hitting on the taxi driver on the way to the roadblock. Yeah, Brian and Cynthia are becoming our sort of stealth comedians of the season, which I didn't expect. Brian still says everything in that emotionless tone, but it's just like the funniest crap you can come up with. It's He, he, he always keeps a straight face. Because most of the time he truly means what he says. But the, what, I don't know, it's just, there's just something about the straight-faced demeanor when he says these funny things that just, you know, makes it that much more funnier. I don't think he realizes some of the silly stuff that he's saying. So Bill will stick around for him. And the roadblock is, who has an eagle eye? Oh, no. Eagle Eye? To which the correct answer is, of course, Ian from Major Race 3. Or Louie and Michael? Or Louie and Michael, yes. That's the first thing I wrote down, thinking, oh no, this is terrible, amazing Race 16 flashbacks. In this roadblock, one team member must climb the Angus L. McDonald Bridge and scan the skyline for the race flag hidden at Citadel Hill, where they'll find their next clue. And it was Hamilton, Nick, Brian, Leilani, Nick, uh, Sean, Jesse, Kristen, and Opie doing the roadblock. And yet again, not a lot to say about this, apart from the fact that Nick decides that Nick off of Sabrina decides it'll be fun to go find a boat instead. A red and yellow boat. Good old classic Haley moment. I think we should start calling that the uh, the Haley Keel Memorial moment. Yes, from the Amazing Race 26 finale, where they had to do a very similar task, and then Haley just mistakes the red and yellow flags for something else on top of a parking lot. Yeah, it was it was poles on top of a parking lot. Gino and Jesse decide to basically cheat off Neil and Kristen, 
and they give their driver really, really vague disc- uh, directions to Citadel Hill, which leads them to be taken to the completely wrong place. Well, yeah, Jesse pretty much has to blame himself for that. I was I was reading from people who live in the Maritimes online that the description that Jesse gave pretty much applies to any sort of landmark or memorial in all of the Maritimes. And because it's Gino and Jesse, they decide to start running back down, which I did appreciate. <laughs> and once teams get to Citadel Hill, they have to head to the Halifax Public Gardens, which is just around the corner, and correctly identify a selection of fruit smoothies to receive their next clue. Because Dairy Queen owns Orange Julius, which I think we discussed before. As if you didn't guess from her Dairy Queen t-shirt. I think, didn't we discuss this last week, or maybe it was somebody else completely different, where... We were talking about, oh, how there might be an Orange Julius task just because they're tied to Dairy Queen. Yeah, I think we did, actually. Because we did predict there'd be a Dairy Queen task in the next couple of legs. And it was Bran and Cynthia whose taste buds got them out of that uh, active route info in first and led them to the detour, which is bubbles or suds. When they, when there's, like, especially in the Maritimes, too, like, I don't know, have you ever seen the show Trailer Park Boys or heard of it? Vaguely. Okay, because it's a show that's. It's either based out of Nova Scotia or New Brunswick. I've seen all the seasons except for the last one. And just the fact that they decided to have a detour where it's, where it's Bubbles or Suds, they needed a cameo from Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. He's like the most he's the most iconic character from the show. That was a huge miss for production. And also, they're not above doing terrible cameos. Yeah, like it would have it would have it would have been so much better than any of the random Olympians or faux Canadian celebrities that have appeared in the past two seasons. Like, Bubbles is legit. I actually, I, a friend of my brother's, when the Trailer Park Boys were in town doing some sort of, I don't know, stand-up or promotion of their movie or whatever the crap it was, she actually made out with Bubbles. Right. And this was like six or seven years ago, so I am... Two or three degrees away from somebody who made out with Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. So basically, in summary, Logan made out with Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. Yes, by uh, by guilty of association. So yeah, it's Bubbles or Suds, and in Bubbles, teams must find the Aquatron, extract two live lobsters each, and properly tag them to receive their next clue. And in Suds, teams must find a delivery truck and deliver three beer orders and return two empty kegs from each location to receive their next clue. And I bet Cynthia could have done with Nick to help her down to the bottom of the Equitron. <laughs> oh, oh, you actually went there. <laughs> Listen, Logan, you'd know that I uh, I did a photo chop of Nick and uh, Cynthia <laughs> ghosting, seeing so Nick referenced it. Yes, Nick off of... I can, this is annoying to have two Nicks, by the way, in the same season. Yeah, Nick off of... But that. yes, Nick did reference... What was it? Was it Hamilton Michaela at the detour that passed by him? And he said, they didn't even acknowledge me. I'm like Patrick Swayze in Ghost. <laughs> and this is after Nick and Matt already won me over by referencing my personal favorite movie of all time, the Street Fighter, the movie. So for him to reference Patrick Swayze, the first thing I thought of was, oh, I wonder if there's going to be any ghosting going on. And yeah, sure enough, you do the photo chop of Nick and Cynthia ghosting. I know that it was so predictable for me to do, but it's also hilarious. And it was it just inspired me when he said it. So so I had to do it. Especially after the community episode where No ghosting. 
<laughs> no ghosting in the pottery class. I was like, I have to make them ghost. It's a requirement. <laughs> and uh, Dijon and Leilani decide to bicker again because it's them. And Sean says, "So we're far more. Uh, so essentially, we're far more hardcore than all our fishing ancestors." Yeah, you know, Brent and Sean, you know, just hardcore. That's what I think of when they're on screen. Yeah, you contrast the hardcore with them then screaming when they have to tag lobsters. <laughs> yes. Or Cynthia diving for lobsters. Yeah, or Cynthia diving for lobsters, which, you know, is a personal highlight of mine. I did rewatch that purely because it's not as funny as the cargo net face, but it's up there. If only Nick was there in teacher mode to help her out, besides the ghosting. Well, she did ask if there was anything to help her get to the bottom. So, you know, Nick was just at the bottom of the pool going, Come on, Cynthia, I can help you. You can't see me, though. And Gino is a complete show-off and got both of his lobsters in one go. Yeah, show-off. So arrogant. So annoying. So douchey. Having said that, above everything else, Sabrina was nice and sassy in this episode. Yeah, she was uh, willing to go into the water, because, as we discussed before, because, you know, with casual fans saying, oh yeah, Sabrina's the whiniest person because she didn't want to dive off the diving board into the water. And then we had to remind people and say, hey, based off the bios, this was actually best case scenario because Nick and Sabrina agree that Sabrina would do all water tasks because Nick is petrified of water even more than she is, and she's already petrified of water to begin with. So it's nice to see this episode that we, that this information, instead of it being tucked away in a bio or silly, you know, Canada AM interviews, not as silly as the social interviews, but it was, it's nice to see that this became public knowledge and we are able to acknowledge that, yes, Sabrina may have been a bit, you know, just crying a bit, jumping into the pool of water, but she was she's a lot braver compared to uh, compared to Nick. Nick can't even put his face in water. I didn't know it was that severe. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for them next week with the double bell. I'm curious to know what what exactly that trauma was to make Nick like not even want to like he can't he said he can't even dunk his face into water. I've just I've just never heard of anybody like that before. Like if there was some sort of like childhood incident where like I don't know Nick's parents pissed off the mafia and the mafia punished them by dunking their heads into water, not letting them come up for air or something like that. I don't know. It's another family connection for you, Logan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have expected to make a mafia reference and not and me not make a uh, a Saunders family reference. I just need to. Well, it's not Saunders family. It's just my father's father that has that last name. But I just need to make the any like like it's really like with my side of the family or my mother's side of the family. It's like the tiniest reference to it. But I just like embellishing it as much as possible and come up with the most outrageous Godfather-esque type story to come up with and see how much people buy into it. It just gets funnier and funnier. In case nobody knows what I'm mentioning, I do mention this occasionally. When Logan and I met in uh, Vancouver last September, he did tell us that his family kind of ran from the Mafia. And we like to embellish it and reference it at every point because it's hilarious. I don't even know if that's why they if that's why they left, but I think it's a funny backstory to come up with. Yeah, it's just sort of an offhand an offhand sentence that kind of made me laugh. So we keep referencing it. But yeah, <laughs> according to Sabrina, Nick thinks that he can overcome his fear by jumping into a tank of lobsters. 
Yes, a, a bunch of lobsters that I can just pinch your nose off. Like you're gonna dunk your face. You're gonna dunk your face into water filled with lobsters that are just gonna brutalize your face as well. Oh, that's not gonna help. Because the best way to do anything fear-wise is to jump into a tank full of lobsters and have to dive fourteen feet. Yeah, 14 feet's a long ways to dive if you're not a swimmer. Yeah, well, 14 feet is about... It's a little more than two of me, which is very deep. Like, most people's swimming pools in their backyard is about seven and a half to eight feet deep uh, deep at the most. So, you know, we're looking at twice twice as deep as a swimming pool. I'd say more likely about five feet for some people, actually. For some, yeah, for some of those, like, smaller pools and stuff that people just... You know, go as cheap as possible on in their backyard. And yeah, they can, you can get away with like five feet, but an actual swimming pools, yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be 14 feet deep unless you're in the Olympics or something. So it's Dujon and Leilani leaving Suds in first with Brian and Cynthia in second, Hamilton and Michaela in third, and Nick and Matt in fourth. Uh, Brent and Sean left Bulls in fifth with Neil and Christian in sixth. Uh, Gino and Jesse left Bulls in 7th, Simi and Opie leaving Suds in 8th, and Nick and Sabrina leaving Suds in last. You know um, what the Suds detour, it was, you know, um, well, I think we learned that, because we know that Leilani has prescription inhalers with her on the race, but I don't think those inhalers uh, are as essential as we thought it was going to be, because that was a lot of physical exercise, having to not only do deliveries once, but then going back and lifting all those empty kegs and stuff. Uh, and she did it without being shown needing to bring out the puffers at all. So maybe, yeah, her asthma isn't really all that bad as we thought it might be. Also, was one of the guys at one of the uh, bars Monty's brother? Probably. There was a guy who was the spitting image of Monty. Maybe it was Monty, but he just put a little bit more makeup on, and it's like, hey, bring me some beer. Or maybe he wants to take the beer and dump it out because he has his own brand of beer and just wants to take out the competition and wants to just take over Halifax. You know, that's that's his racket. And following the detour, it's the pit stop, which is the roof of the Seaport Farmer's Market. The last team to check in here may be eliminated. Why wasn't it Peggy's Cove? What is Peggy's Cove anyway? I kept hearing people saying that they were hoping for the pit stop to be at Peggy's Cove, but then ends up being at an old market. So, did, have you looked into it, Michael? Do we know what Peggy's Cove is exactly? It's a small rural community located on the eastern shore of St. Margaret's Bay in Nova Scotia's Halifax Regional Principality, which is famous for the Peggy's Point Lighthouse. You know what sound effect we need to play like every once in a while? It's the sound effect of Sabrina trying to taste those drinks at the Orange Julie stand. That was the funniest thing. <laughs> and then Nick probably has the best quote of the episode when they were doing their whole thing at the detour, and then Gino and Jesse walk by in their flippers, and then he turns to Sabrina and says, "What you think it's? Why do you think it's water? You you think you th- you think it is be- because of the flippers?" <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the flippers are completely unrelated to water. 
Gina and Jesse are trying to be that much of a show-off that they can make it all the way to the pit stop with their own self-imposed flipper handicap. I know that the... Um that we've said for four or five weeks now that you can't basically tell that Nick and Sabrina have a ten-year age gap. You can in that scene. <laughs> yes. She- Sabrina's been around the block a bit more. She knows that flippers and flippers means you're going into water. <laughs> Sabrina just gives him a look as if to say, come on, child, don't be so frigging stupid. <laughs> in her head, she's probably thinking, yeah, this definitely makes me feel like a cougar, possibly. <laughs> And he's just like, come on, Mom, let me do it. You know it's not a water thing. Are you saying that if this were Bojack Horseman, that Nick would be Vincent Adult Man? There's also one other funny thing from the Suds detour with the beer. Oh, yeah, with Hamilton Michaela. Uh, this is one of the worst ten minutes I've seen a team go through. Yeah. Or Hamilton goes through. Not only does he lose the passport but also cannot handle the lobster detour. Yeah, and also on top of that, the whole reason they got eliminated is because they went to Starbucks at the airport. When they stood up and um, the guy in the office said, oh, we found your passport, she's coming down with it now, you could see Starbucks cups on the chair. That's oh, so they had a lot of time to kill. Yeah, they were so un-Canadian that they didn't even go to Tim Hortons. They, Eric Canada would have, would have had their back a bit more if they... If they chose a Canadian uh, coffee product instead, is what you're saying. Ekander would have uh, eliminated Nick and Sabrina for them. Come to Tim Hortons, where you get coffee, and, or where you can get Timbits and your passport back. Fast. So, it was Dijon and Leilani who won the leg, quite comfortably, I think, as well. And they won a trip to any Caribbean destination that Ekander flies to. And the equivalent of six months free petrol again. So they'll be probably going to Turks and Caicos, would be my guess. Actually, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Michael, but Turks and Caicos is supposed to be, like, the Canadian government has been in talks for decades to try and make that our 11th province, fourth territory. It's the equivalent of Puerto Rico joining the U.S. Yes, that would be a good analogy. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say about the Suds Detour. I just found it now. Um, with the how it was written up that they had to go to... Three locations, such as the Split Crow, I think, was the first one they went to. Um, I totally thought that because they were delivering bottles of alcohol, or uh, that I was absolutely convinced that the third uh, location that they needed to go to was the Majestic Cafe, and that several teams would not read that part of the clue and not go to the Majestic Cafe last. Amazing Race 3 reference. And... Brandon and Cynthia were second. Nick and Matt, of course, were third. Uh, Brent and Sean were fourth. Simi and Opie were fifth. Neil and Kristen were sixth. Seventh was Gino and Jesse. Eighth was Nick and Sabrina. And last was our hamster and Michaela. And they were eliminated. What? Why wasn't it a non-elimination like Michael? <sighs> Do we really need to get into the whole why is stuff not non-elimination? It's predetermined. I have this rant every year. Because Amazing Race is technically a game show, they are subject to certain rules and regulations, such as having to predetermine where the non-elimination legs are. Hence why Phil Kogan always used to say, this is a predetermined non-elimination leg and you're still in the race. They cannot have any influence over which teams they like and which teams they do not. Hence why Suki and Jinder got saved last year at 8. Hence why Hamilton and Kayla didn't get saved. Hence why the female cops last week didn't get saved. 
just because they're a fan favorite team does not mean they will get saved. It would have been funnier if uh, John Montgomery said, uh, "But this is the first of two post-determined non-elimination legs." Yeah. Do you think we're actually going to get two non-elimination legs, or do you think we're going to get like a double length leg like we did in Canada One? I think we'll get two. We'll get two non-elimination legs. It seems like they watched the Amazing Race three and four before the season started and thought, "Hey." Let's just copy their format and just hold off on non-eliminations until, you know, three quarters of the way into the season and then start just using them. Or they could start using them next week. It's really up to them. But I do find it hilarious that people were pissed. It's like one person was blaming John Montgomery for not making the unilateral decision to make a non-elimination leg, therefore rigging the race and disrupting the integrity of the entire show, subject them to lawsuits and possibly shut down production. Yeah, I was going to say, there's one very good reason that they have to predetermine that, and that's because it opens them up to lawsuits if they, if certain teams get preferential treatment. It's uh, suddenly the quiz show scandal all over again if they do that. That's the equivalent, people. Exactly. And if you don't know about the quiz show scandal, do your research, to quote Mike Scoopin. Yes. Because I'm I'm a complete nerd when it comes to any quiz show basically and yeah it's really interesting for me though just in terms of rigging did you like gino and jesse or i mean the Voldem mussolini's uh other hilarious stupid moment of the of the leg i don't like anything to do with them logan you should know that by now well the park was called point pleasant park which sounds like the start of every horror movie location and they kept calling it pleasant point what up with that not even learning the basic names of places around Halifax. I know. Whatever happened to Gino's geography degree? <laughs> yes. Pleasant point. That's a that's a pleasant point, Michael. And next week, teams are going back to Quebec, this time to the Magdalene Islands. And we have sand, mud, and a double battle, and a double U-turn. Will they involve Big John Stud? So, we have a lot of predictions next week, as I, t- I suck at the pool this year, but we are starting to have three bonus questions, the normal two and then a special one, where we now have seven opportunities to predict the non-elimination legs. We get two opportunities each to predict the non-elimination legs. If we get them correct, we get an extra five points. I wish there was a way, I wish there was a way to quantify whether we could predict Will next week's Pit Stop Greeter be crazier than this week's Pit Stop Greeter, or less crazy? Because this this Greeter was very enthusiastic with his own singing abilities, I must say. He's a town crier, it's his job. Yes. Did he, did he replace Homer, Homer Simpson after uh, the reveal of Jebediah Halifax? One of the points that I'd like to make. Oh yeah, um, so what about... John Montgomery's uh, heartfelt interaction with Hamilton Michaela. You would never see Phil Kogan being upfront about it and just publicly supporting Hamilton Michaela. Yeah, he was very um, huggy with them. But it was it was good. It was a it was a very honest moment for the race. I think it shows. It's one of the reasons. I mean, between. I mean, John Montgomery personalizes his experiences on the race so much that you really get a feel for him. Like, I mean, at the start of this episode, he has the funny line about Buenos Aires be, being home to the best barbecue he's ever had. 
And then he's just so so generous to Hamilton, Michaela, and telling them to uh, thanks for being who you are. Because I mean, and the hug too was so sincere because. I mean, John Montgomery, I think he's older than Hamilton and Michaela combined, so, I mean, you have to keep in mind that Hamilton and Michaela are still teenagers. Like, we saw this episode with Hamilton's hesitancy to get in the water and then being forgetful over his passport that, you know, they're, I mean, they come off as people who are, you know, really mature for their age, like they could pass off as being in their late 20s, but you still got to remember that there's, You know, they're barely adults right now. So let's talk about this double U-turn and the double battle slash face-off for next week. With the double U-turn, now that, because I totally was convinced that Hamilton and Michaela would be victims when it would come up, but they're eliminated now, so they can't be U-turned. But I think for next week what's going to happen is that somebody's going to U-turn somebody like Gino and Jessica, or maybe U-turn Nick and Max, who are the only obvious threats um, left in the race, I guess. And then whichever of those two teams gets U-turned, I assume is going to be thinking, oh, who's behind us? Probably Simi and Opie, and just U-turn them to try and stay alive, and then I think Simi and Opie will, will be out. I have a theory but it's all dependent on whether the double battle is first or last in the leg. I think the double battle will be the first task that they get to in uh, in the Magdalene Islands. It would pretty much have to be, eh? Because then that will, I suppose, not delay any of the teams too much because it's a 15-minute penalty at the end. Yeah, and I think it's it's an equaliser. It's just, I think it's going to essentially serve as an equaliser where everybody has to start the task at the same time. Well, everyone's going to be on the same... Uh, flight anyway i'm assuming well yeah this is this season nobody's ever been on separate flights so far um but that will then mean that the detour will be last meaning that the u-turn will be at the end of the leg which is something i always complain about i've got on record as hating it when they put a u-turn at the end of the leg because it then means that a team who are u-turn basically have no chance to catch up and you might as well just eliminate them there yes but I have a theory on who's going to get U-turned, but I don't particularly want to say it because, you know, I need to be competitive now. (laughs) Mm. I need to win. I'm nine points off the lead. I've only got 17. Did you know that Halifax is the ocean playground of the world? Apparently so. Looks a bit dreary to me, but... Yeah, and I don't see anybody playing around anywhere near the the ocean in Halifax. No, I, I would probably say somewhere in Australia would be the ocean playground. Yeah, as far as I know, Australia's never experienced any sort of TNT either. I think that the double battle will be first, and it's obviously kayak polo or something similar. And then they might be nice and put the detour second and then the U-turn and then uh, the roadblock, but I'm not sure. I guess we sort of lost over Hamilton and Michaela's uh, passport troubles a little bit. Considering the online community pretty much took care of that, it's the only thing they talked about. But are you, did it surprise you that the rule for passports in Amazing Race Canada is a bit different from the U.S. version? Not really, because I think the going back to James and Abba, who I believe were the last team to properly lose their passport, they they still had to check in with their passport. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's a rule that Amazing Race Canada has made up. 
I think it's a rule they've inherited from the US. Because James and Abba did have to have their passport with them to check in. And because they were staying in Russia, they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. And didn't have to be eliminated and got the speed bump instead. But I, I actually think that's an amazing race US rule that Canada has kind of adopted. Because you never know when they're going to be leaving the country again. For all the teams new in this season, they could have been going to Halifax and then on to Europe. Mm-hmm. And probably back via Toronto, but you know, whatever. I guess with producers, what I, cause I almost feel like the James Nava situation was almost made up on the spot because with other times it's like you need your passport to check in and then they refuse to check them in until James and Abba were already last and they realize, oh crap, it's an elimination round. We just can't have them out forever because you know we, we can't eliminate somebody on a non-elimination round. That just seems really stupid. Yeah. So then they said, oh, come back. Now that you're dead last, you're not eliminated and you need your passport uh, by the time the next time that we fly out. But producers know full well that no matter what, James and Abba are done in the next leg anyway, rather whether they fly out or not, because it's an elimination round. So I assume that rule with the non-elimination was came up on the spot regarding the passport. But because in Amazing Race Canada, I think they stuck to the usual rule they have where you needed to check in, because it was an elimination round anyway. So it's not like if, like if this was an elimination round, then sure, then they would probably be sent kept being sent out to try and look for it and then even check in last, even if they didn't have it, and then search for it next round. But really, it doesn't matter what they do either way, because if you lose your passport, you're just going to lose so much time that there's no way you're going to stay alive anyway. How bad would it have been if Nick and Sabrina would have got eliminated here? And then next round, like Hamilton, Michaela, because you can't search for the passport at the... At the pit stop, like you can't go out into the public at all. No. So it would have been really interesting if they let them check in at third or fourth, or whatever place they would have been. And then next round, they don't have their passports on them, and then they're like, "Yeah, I guess we'll we have to make the one flight that goes out to Quebec there. So we're just gonna go to Quebec without our passports. We don't need it yet. And then do like two or three or four or five more, whatever many more legs are gonna stay in Canada before they go to India, stay in the official press release." And then not get eliminated until four round, four or five rounds later, whatever it's going to be, uh, because they didn't need their passport until that point. I think that would have been pretty hilarious. Yeah, it would have been a massive loss for the season, Nick and Serena, though. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's funny that this is two rounds now where last round they survived by two minutes to stay in the race, and then this time they needed a team to a front running team to lose their passport to stay alive this time. And even worse, it would have been a race for the map between them and Gino and Jesse. So you can imagine how pissed off I would have been. Oh, that would have been the worst. I that might have actually overtaken the Suki and Gino elimination from last year. In terms of me hating it that much. Maybe those are too strong of words, Michael. Oh, that episode still angers me, can I point out? I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, it still angers me. Can't do this to yourself, man. So yeah, team out well. So yeah, any predictions for next week? Simeon Opie, you said. Were... Yeah, I think they're gonna be they're gonna be done. I don't think it will be a non-elimination round yet because there's only gonna be two, and we we still got eight teams left. Even though it's been rapid fire with uh, getting all four teams out in the first four legs, I mean, there's still only gonna be two times where a team is gonna be saved. So that's what two non-eliminations coming up in the next seven legs. So. We still got a bit of time before they need to 
use one of them. I think we'll be seeing one sooner rather than later, because they do like putting them in around about this time. Well, the the last non-illumination is either going to be four or five in it. I doubt yeah. we'll see it any higher than five, although we have seen it as high as eight before. Mm-hmm. Israel 4 tore up the rule book and did their final non-illumination at eight. Crazy. They never do anything uh, by the book with uh, Amazing Races, really. The, the previous record was seven, which is one of the Australian seasons. But uh, I suspect we'll see one in the next two weeks, and then probably one about four or five teams left. More likely five, actually, because four is a bit anticlimactic. If you get down to four teams, you know the next leg's going to be non-elimination. I think with the... What they could do, if they did use the non-elimination leg next week, I could see that because with the double U-turn and the face-off, they're just going to be creating a ton of rivalries. So I could see them using that to stir up drama that they can carry over into subsequent rounds, Yeah, especially now that all the express pass drama is over. But still think it might be a bit too early considering how few non-eliminations they can play with for the season. Yeah. Unless, of course, they do three non-eliminations and do uh, a double elimination at some point. They wouldn't do that. It's happened before. Unfortunately. Philippines. Mm. Philippines 2's legacy, doing uh, a surprising extra non-elimination and then a double elimination in the next leg. What up with that? Any uh, last words to eulogize Hamilton, Mikhail, and the race? No, I'd say that this was by far the weakest leg of the E4. It was the most entertaining Atlantic and the leg we've ever had, though. Like, usually they're just... I always dread them because they're always the absolute worst episodes that we've ever seen in the past two seasons. And here we are with the best possible Atlantic and the leg. And, I mean, it was still, like, not as good as the past two weeks, but still pretty good. I'd say PEI was better from last year. Because at least PEI had the hilarious Suki domination. Yes. And a Green Gables. Yeah, and digging through hot poop, and teams being covered in various substances by the time they got to the pit stop. I'd say that was a more entertaining leg, but this is one of the stronger Atlantic Canada legs, but that isn't saying much. Purely because of, as Logan said, how terrible the Atlantic Canada legs are. On the whole, Jet Day's bullshit elimination from season one. I want a hula hoop. Do you think they're lining up Hamilton Michaela to bring back because, oh yes. you know, they really got a... For a team that lost their passport, the edit was very good to them for this week. Given that we know that Amazing Race Canada has up to six seasons before they have to renew the contract, and given that the rumour is five seasons and then All-Stars, I would be very shocked if we don't see Hamilton and Michaela back in three years. They're essentially, what I was thinking is that they're going to essentially be replacing uh, Kristen and Darren's slot, because... Both teams had crazy journeys with the Express Pass and then just committing some sort of blunder early on in the race when everybody thought they were the absolute front runners. And frankly, Hamilton and are like just a team that's a lot like Kristen Darren, except a lot more interesting. Yeah, if you consider classic editing in terms of All-Stars, Hamilton and Michaela are going to be up there because they have the backstory, they have the... Terrible elimination. They were fan favourites. They probably haven't beaten uh, Gino and Jesse on the Fuel Your Favourite Team thing, but we all know that that's stupid anyway, given how ridiculous the results tend to be. I think Nick and Sabrina are about ninth on it, which, you know, is very unfair. But I'd be very surprised if we don't see Hamilton and Kayla come back. Thankfully, Gino and Jesse have absolutely no shot because Jet and Dave will have that slot. 
Do you think Gino and Jesse could be going on a run in the next few legs, considering all of the really physically fit teams are out? Well, if the double battle is at the start of the leg, they're going to be out of there fairly soon, assuming they are in the first couple of teams to get there. If they are the last team there, then obviously they're not going to get the penalty, but they will be leaving the double battle in eighth. And they will then get U-turned, and they'll have to do both sides of the detour. So, no, I don't think they will, honestly. We can only hope. Yeah, I don't see any team really going on a run. I'd probably guess Nick and Matt would be the most likely to go on a run, because they're the most consistent so far. Go from teacher mode to beast mode. I don't think anyone sees them as a threat as well. I think that's what that teacher mode scene was meant to show us. No one really sees them as a threat. They're helpful guys. So I don't think they're going to be a target for for the U-turn. I think that they are most likely to win next week. You know who would have never been the U-turn if they made it to the next leg is Dane and Amanda because they would just be looking through the posters and they said, hey, none of these have the names, the two cops from Labrador. Like they'll see Nick and Sabrina and then it'll be like, where's, you know, where's, the, where's the two cops from Labrador? Isn't that, aren't those their names? Also, for the um, for the casual fans here who don't like Nick and Sabrina, Here's a little uh, insight for you. There is no way that Nick and Sabrina will be a top target on U-turns. Because they are not annoying anyone in the race. We have not seen them annoy anyone in the race. There is no context for them being U-turned. They only annoy each other. Well, no, they only annoy the casual fans. Who don't seem to understand that the aim of Amazing Race is to survive every round. It's nice if you can win every round. Nice if you can win the prizes, but it's not essential because you don't get any leg up from winning every round. They'll have a language advantage next week. They speak French. Yeah, true. That is a very good point, actually, because we saw how excited Nick was to go back to Quebec in the uh, in the preview. Hopefully, for their sake, they get to the double battle first so that they have a decent chance of not being uh, penalised. Because hopefully, Nick's fear of water won't come into it. I have a feeling that somebody who is afraid of water. Maybe afraid of paddling a boat. But yet again, he's one of the more physically fit people in the season. So if he can sort of have Sabrina give him a pep talk, I don't think it'll be that bad. I think the narrative they're setting up is that Nick might overcome his fear. Nah, it's funnier if he doesn't. Yeah, it's funnier if he doesn't, but I think the narrative they might be setting up is that he he could have a water task that he's forced into and sort of overcome his fear. And we might actually find out in uh, in a confessional what, what caused his fear. Therapy session, that can be one of the tasks. Shala and Nabila can conduct it. Give them some cute outfits to wear. You know what they could have done if Shala and Nabila were in this leg of the race? Is if they replaced the lobsters at the bottom of the of the pool with popsicle sticks. <laughs> I'd love to see them over the detail clue, just Shala and Nabila go. You have to get two popsicle sticks from the bottom of the pool. No, we're not doing that. Suds. No. <laughs> and then Shala gets a cramp from dragging the kegs of beer. <laughs> and, and Nabila, you know how, you know the things they use to push the kegs for the detour? The carts, They yeah. just remove the kegs, yeah, the carts. They just uh, remove the kegs and just put Shala in there, and then Nabila has to push her. <laughs> it's been weeks since we made a Shala and Nabila joke. <laughs> okay, um, I don't think we can top that for the for this podcast. Having said that, I would like to see Charlotte and Nabila do the uh, the dual battle from next week. <laughs> Maybe instead of having Devon go around with the teams, they should have just had Charlotte and Nabila as the correspondents. Oh, don't bring up Devon Sultan Deke. 
just interviewing all the teams when they win a leg or get eliminated, having to test out the double battle. I'm Devin Soltendeek. I'm somehow important to the Amazing Race Canada. And Logan's feud with journalists continues. <laughs> Which Amazing Race journalists don't I have a feud with right now? Yeah, you've got the Harpies from The Social, James Duthie. Anybody who does a recap. Anyone who you slag off in your weekly uh, ranking the recappers blog, which always gives me a laugh on Wednesdays. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next week for another Amazing Race Canada recap episode. If you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please subscribe to us on the iTunes and give us a like on the YouTube video. If you want to see what we're rambling about this week, our Twitters are in the description down below too. And if you missed our interview with Mike and Michelle from Amazing Race 26, that is also available on the iTunes feed, which you can find linked everywhere too. Thank you again. Hashtag 250, hashtag Ginger Ninja, hashtag Super Kawaki, hashtag Youngcast. Peace!